mindfulness offers a lot of benefits. It can help improve our ability to get things done and help us regulate our emotions by reducing the interference that our emotions have on our intellectual functioning. Being overly anxious or upset tends to lower our IQ because we can't think as well in those moments. In general, mindfulness skills and practice seems to help manage mental health issues and promote well-being by helping to build adaptability and flexibility. Mindfulness is about being in the moment, observing what's coming at you from the outside and what's coming up from the inside, noticing it, observing it, but not judging it, not reacting to it. And the more you practice, the more you learn to manage what's coming at you. everyone. Welcome to the Shrinks After Hours. Since this is the last Tuesday of the month, Cindy and I are kicking back and relaxing and we're going to have a chat about mindfulness in the pandemic. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And yeah, let's talk about mindfulness in this crazy time. We've tried to practice it and we've certainly tried to guide other people to be mindful, that's for sure. Yeah. So Julie, remember when people were frantically loading carts with toilet paper, Clorox wipes and bottled water? Seems like the world changed overnight. And now for over a year, we've been continually adapting to a new world. Yes. I not only remember, but I'm guilty of having done some of that. (laughs) I remember how scared everyone was. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't know when this was going away. We didn't know when there'd be a vaccine. We didn't know whether we could get sick touching vegetables before we sprayed and wiped them down. That was crazy. I know. Working from home, not working, homeschooling children, disinfecting groceries. We've dealt with inadequate supplies, inadequate information, frustration, loneliness, and boredom. Constant worry about jobs, health insurance, rent payments, bills, savings. And then the ultimate fear, coughing, fever, shortness of breath, or any other symptom that might signal a potential life-altering or ending health risk to ourselves or people we care about. I I think most people were scared every single day. Those people who acknowledged that we, of course, had a pandemic. All along, we've lived with uncertainty every day. We do anyway. You know, even before the pandemic, life is uncertain. But because of the pandemic, it's much worse. People are laid off. They're scared about not having their basic needs met like housing, food, medicine, toilet paper, Um, and even some of these things that we've had to do to lower the risks like quarantine and and self-isolation and social distancing and masking, those things increase our stress too and, and often our depression and anger. Yeah, so with everything that's been happening, it's natural to feel anxious and scared and frustrated or any other feeling angry towards the virus itself, towards our leadership, your employer the guy at the store without a mask, or even concern about whether you wore your own mask properly. What I like to say with these and a lot of mental health issues is they're normal reactions to an abnormal situation. Exactly. So what we're saying is that COVID-19 has had a big emotional impact on everyone, and it has created a lot of changes in our daily lives. 
a lot of us have been having trouble sleeping, focusing. There's a lot of feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. People are drinking more. Drug use, unfortunately, is way up, including serious drug use like opioids. People are eating more. Our schedules, our sleep, our routines, everything keeps shifting and changing, especially as COVID continues to spread with over 4.6 million confirmed deaths worldwide and over 670,000 in the United States. That is a whole lot. So here's one thing we all know, worrying will not change COVID or its outcomes. <laughs> but I know you agree with me here, Cindy, that being able to tolerate uncertainty is a really good part of healthy coping. When your mind gets distracted by strong emotions, there are some tools that might be helpful to bring you back to feeling some inner strength and some calm. That's right, Julie. In the last few years, there's been an increase in mindfulness research with lots of different studies, some funded by the National Institutes of Health, showing that mindfulness can help reduce stress and increase well-being. It helps treat addiction, anxiety, high blood pressure, depression, concentration, chronic pain, stress, and a lot of other mental and physiological problems. It even helps children and teens develop resilience and can give them and us more of a sense of control. Practicing mindfulness can help us to quiet our worries and stress. It doesn't make them go away. They just don't run us. We have some control over them. So it makes sense that incorporating mindfulness practices into our daily routines will help us to calm the anxiety and help us to build more healthy coping skills, like things that are really needed right now, especially because of the pandemic. So give yourself permission to feel whatever emotions come up and turning towards your concerns rather than trying to get away from them can help manage pain and tension. It's counterintuitive sometimes that turning toward concerns helps more than trying to get away from them. But mindfulness offers a lot of benefits. It can help improve our ability to get things done and help us regulate our emotions by reducing the interference that our emotions have on our intellectual functioning. Being overly anxious or upset tends to lower our IQ because we can't think as well in those moments. In general, mindfulness skills and practice seems to help manage mental health issues and promote well-being by helping to build adaptability and flexibility. So we're trying to convince you <laughs> to do some mindfulness here. So keep listening. It can give you, mindfulness, a greater sense of balance in the face of stress, even the kind that a pandemic brings. And when you're dealing with loss and grief, mindfulness can help you to adapt to the strong emotions and to the changes and, and sense of unpredictability that you experience when you're grieving. Knowing that mindfulness has helped people for thousands of years and now shows a lot of promise in research and in real life, it might be worth investing a little bit of time in trying it out. It doesn't need a lot of time. Any amount of mindfulness in your day can apparently yield positive results and you can do it at home for free. For free? So Cindy, <laughs> how do we do this? Let's give people some skills. Being mindful is what it sounds like. It's focusing on the present and being intentional and thoughtful, awake about where you are and how you're feeling. That is mindful. I mean, the opposite is mindlessness or just not paying attention, being oblivious. Mindfulness involves learning to pay attention to experiences in the present, 
to what's happening right now with our body, our emotions, our senses and thoughts, instead of reacting to what we experience, the good, the bad, the painful, we just pay attention to it. Sounds simple, but that takes a lot of work. Oh, it definitely takes practice to do it. <laughs> and mindfulness practice can be formal or informal. Formal practice means you might set aside one time each day to focus on a specific mindfulness technique. It doesn't take a lot of time to do that, but you specifically plan to do it. You can also do an informal practice, which could involve picking something you do anyway and approaching it with a mindful attitude. You can do any activity mindfully, running, listening to music, chores, as long as you intentionally focus only on that activity in the moment. I usually suggest that people start with a mindful walk in which they pay really close attention to individual items like plants or flowers or trees or the color green, you know, looking specifically, just aware of what you're looking at along your walk. Yeah, I like that idea, Julie. That's a good one. Anything works, really. You can even use an activity like washing your hands, which we're supposed to be doing a lot anyway right now. You could do it as a mindfulness practice. Pay attention to the sensations associated with washing your hands, as well as any thoughts or emotions that come up while you do it. Notice the water, the soap, the smells, the feelings. If a thought or feeling comes up, notice it, but go back to focus on washing your hands. I think that's a really important point. Of course, feelings are gonna come up, thoughts are gonna come up. And the goal of mindfulness is to refocus yourself on the here and now and what you're focused on in that moment. Honestly, and I've found this and I know a lot of people have, mindfulness helps you set the tone for the day. It can help you feel really centered and grounded and it gives you sort of a space to sort of reduce the stress of your daily life. And it can help us figure out what we do have control over and what we don't. And that's so important. Yeah. There are different ways of practicing mindfulness, but they all involve certain basic skills or attitudes. It's a lot to work on. Mindful breathing, meditating, exercise, whatever mindfulness activity works for you. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can simply notice your breath and pay attention to the sensation of breathing in and breathing out. You can try mindful eating or mindful drinking with a cup of coffee or something else. <laughs> Sit there and just be in the moment. It feels pretty good when you do it, if you can get there, if you can get your mind to really focus on the taste of that coffee and the feeling of sitting there and enjoying it. So some of the skills we learn to cultivate in mindfulness include, and these are important, being non-judgmental. That's right, non-judgmental. We automatically judge most things in our lives, including our own experiences, our emotions, our thoughts, whether they're rational or not, whether they're appropriate or not, good or bad. When we're being mindful, we just pay attention to our experiences, but we don't judge them. We just accept that they're there, even when they're uncomfortable, even when they're painful, even when they're upsetting. We just allow them to be there and to just be there with them, whatever they are. That's right, Julie. And another mindfulness skill is approaching our experiences with a beginner's mind, which means approaching experiences with open curiosity as if they're new, trying to see them in a new light or with a different perspective, sometimes maybe a child's point of view. It's maybe not the exact same thing, but it kind of reminds me of a plaque my dad had hanging over his desk that said, 
It's what you learn after you think you know it all that counts. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. So fresh eyes. And another attitude um, useful in being mindful is non-striving. Instead of trying to achieve a goal or any particular mental state, you're just sort of sitting with whatever comes up. Whatever reaction you have, you're not reacting to it. You're just watching it. You watch it come, you watch it go. You don't interact with it. The only goal is to keep trying to come back to the present moment whenever your mind is being distracted. Right, because your mind wants to follow these things. And then you get into the worry and the future and you're not in the moment. That overlaps with the skills of just observing and not reacting or non-reactivity. You just observe what you're experiencing at the moment, noticing and not reacting. You just accept the way it is and you don't wish for it to be something else. You're aware of your thoughts and feelings, but you don't get caught up in them. You just watch them from a calm place. Yeah, it's like you're a little bit away from them. There's like light between you and those thoughts and feelings so that you don't have to be them. And also related is acting with awareness, which has to do with staying in the moment without being distracted by a wandering mind that wants to daydream or worry or rush through things without paying attention. Mindfulness meditation isn't like other types of meditation. There's no mantra or no pressure to think or not to think about anything in particular. Yeah, a mindfulness practice doesn't have to involve meditation, which is good because I'm not really very good at that, even, even with practice. Mindfulness is about being in the moment, observing what's coming at you from the outside and what's coming up from the inside, noticing it, observing it, but not judging it, not reacting to it. And the more you practice, the more you learn to manage what's coming at you. Yeah, meditating isn't a major thing I like to do either. And some people absolutely hate it. But mindfulness meditations are different from what people typically think of as meditations. They can be guided or they can be on your own. But you're not trying to reach enlightenment or nirvana. You're just finding your inner stillness and trying to create a little calm in there. Sounds good. <laughs> All you need is to make some time and space. Pause during your day. It could be a couple minutes or if you have it, a couple hours. Basically, you put aside whatever you're doing or thinking and you just sit quietly as you become aware of your breath going in and your breath going out. If you want, you can set a timer, you know, one that isn't super intrusive when it goes off or alarming, <laughs> and you can close your eyes. It actually helps if you close your eyes. Closing your eyes, actually, there's research that it lowers your blood pressure as soon as you close your eyes. If your mind wanders as you inhale and exhale, just simply bring your focus back to your breath. There isn't a right way to do it. It's just about breathing in and breathing out and focusing on it. And then when you're ready, you can try to follow your breath in and out and also notice what your mind is doing. Try to let go of your stress for a minute and breathe. If your mind wanders, notice it, accept it, and go back to focusing on breathing. Our attention often keeps going to what's next or something that's bothering us. When you're fully present, you observe what's happening. You notice when your mind doesn't stay still and when you bring it back. But the more you practice, the more it becomes a skill that keeps you centered. 
You can also try it lying down. Lots of people do. You lay down, you close your eyes and you slowly scan your body mentally, starting somewhere, usually the top of your head or at your feet. And you bring awareness to each body part. No judgment, just awareness. And you're not trying to change anything. You're just noticing the various parts of your body. And I've heard that if you have a particular spot that has pain, you just really focus on it a little more. You focus on that pain. You just review each different parts of your body and you sort of check in with them, observe them, see what's going on. And whatever it is, it's okay. That's right. It is what it is. A lot of us have to try harder right now to get the personal space or alone time we need. We see people via telehealth who are out walking or sitting in their cars, bathrooms, or unfinished basements. <laughs> One couple living in a large studio had sessions while their partner was in the same room wearing sound-canceling headphones. You can also practice mindfulness in any of these places. Oh, sure. I mean, it might be kind of challenging, <laughs> but you can find a way that works. You can. Mindfulness can be practiced in simple ways throughout the day, just by paying attention to whatever you're doing, focusing on it. Are you eating, showering, walking, just mindfully noticing the sensations, the textures, the smells. You just don't judge what you're eating. You're not judging how you're walking. You're just paying attention and observing everything about it. This is counter to what most of us usually do. We're often mindlessly running on autopilot. Our minds are busy with other things. We're distracted. We're thinking of our stress. We're worrying. If you're someone who likes acronyms to remember stuff, you can try remembering these acronyms for mindfulness practices you can do. They're kind of similar. One is STOP, S-T-O-P, which stands for stop, take a breath, observe your emotions and thoughts, and proceed with awareness. And another is RAIN, which stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Recognize what's going on with you. Allow whatever you're experiencing to just be there rather than pushing against it. Investigate it by gently exploring and observing. And nurture yourself by letting yourself rest in natural awareness that whatever you're observing is okay. They're all kind of saying the same thing, but maybe stop or rain just helps somebody remember. Yeah, whatever works for you. <laughs> I mean, and, and meditation isn't for everyone, but it's certainly worth trying. You never know, you could like it. And there are big benefits you can get from it. When you practice, you develop new skills like openness and the ability to stay still or calm when you actually need to. So I know people who do public speaking sometimes practice this. So they know when they're about to go on stage and do public speaking, they can get themselves there because they're so used to getting into that mindful state. So designating time to practice mindful activities helps lower anxiety, whether it's yoga or a walk in the woods or whatever you decide to do. John Kabat-Zinn from the University of Massachusetts Medical School is the one credited for taking mindfulness, which is actually part of an ancient Buddhist contemplative practice and developing it into a secular practice in the 70s. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is widely used today to help people struggling with all kinds of clinical and even medical issues. Other therapies such as cognitive therapy also incorporate mindfulness for mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. 
I once did a training with John Kabat-Zinn for all day. It was one long day and we just tried to meditate all day long. It was fabulous. I mean, I felt altered afterward, but it was so hard. And it sounds really simple to sit still. It's so hard. Mindfulness-based therapies are effective at reducing symptoms of depression and anxiety. They reduce stress and they foster resilience, which is what we are looking for right now during this pandemic. And it can lead to positive changes in dealing with current mental health challenges from COVID-19. And it can manage short and long-term issues that have to do with mental health during the pandemic. Absolutely. Practicing mindfulness might help reduce irritability and impulsivity even during COVID, since it involves intentionally focusing on one thing at a time while letting go of all the distractions that wander into your mind. Mindfulness helps you to be in control of your mind instead of your mind controlling you. It can help us be more aware of our stresses and let things come and go without getting stuck on them. It gives us a way to respond from a calmer place. Absolutely. And the more frequently you practice it, it's just like riding a bike, (laughs) the more you improve. It's a pretty low cost or mm, free way to help improve the psychological impact from COVID-19. That includes lack of control, chaotic feelings, fearfulness, helplessness, anger, you know, whatever those feelings are that come up. And the cool thing is too, that children and teens can get the same sense of control over their lives that adults do. Right now with their usual structure and social circles disrupted by the pandemic and the need to social distance, wash hands, mask up, developing a mindfulness practice offers a healthy way for children and teens to cope with feelings like loneliness and anger and stress. Friends and families can practice together and it could be a good way to teach your kids and model the practice for them. Mindfulness can help a lot of us to be more focused in the present manage our emotions, and develop emotional resilience. Absolutely. Mindfulness is a practice, which means you improve over time the more you do it. So be open to what's working or just doesn't work for you and don't judge yourself. Of course, you still need your favorite self-care activities and self-care community, even if they're only virtual. It can help to get outside every day, especially if you do it mindfully, to help reduce the buildup of tension or any resentment from being in the same place with the same people all the time or alone. Some people get nourished by helping others. It can help give you hope and meaning and you feel good about yourself if you're in a position to help others and you can use whatever resources you have, like money, time, social media, a car, food, to help neighbors and others in need in the community. You just have to keep your boundaries, you know, whatever works best for you. Of course, we said this before in in the past, that limiting how you access news and information can help with some current stress. Mindfully, you can notice how you feel when you're watching the news or hearing certain people speak and limit yourself to shorter time periods and to information that you trust and that doesn't feel so bad. Most likely, you're really not going to be missing anything you need to know. It's very repetitive. Depending on your ongoing level of stress, anxiety, grief, or trauma even, you may also wanna take advantage of other tools as well, like psychotherapy, potentially possibly medication, in addition to positive lifestyle habits like good sleep, good exercise, good nutrition. Mindfulness and its skills can be learned in many different ways, including by using online apps and podcasts or by joining online or in-person sessions led by experienced mindfulness instructors. 
That's true, Cindy. There are so many apps out there now. But a lot of people like a group setting for the shared group support and for different contact with an experienced mindfulness instructor. Both Jefferson and Penn, two major hospital systems in our area, run mindfulness-based stress reduction groups. And I think at Penn, they actually teach people to lead those groups as well. Everyone I've referred there who's been able to take advantage of that has given it good reviews. Yes, I know a lot of people who've gone through one of those programs too and really got a lot out of it. You can also learn more about mindfulness and mindfulness resources at themindfulnessinitiative.org. And there's also innerstrengtheducation.org for school children and teens. As Julie mentioned, there are a lot of apps online to help too. Some are free and some you have to pay for. Headspace is a popular one, but you do have to pay for it. There's usually a deal to check it out for free though. Some like Calm also charge, but offer guided mindfulness activities for kids and adolescents specifically. For younger children, you can try cosmickids.com and check out their Zen Den. That's so cute. <laughs> Locally here in Philly, you can go to jeffersonhealth.org slash mindfulness for more information. Or look so for Penn's program. It is really worth giving this a try. It is very helpful, uh, certainly during a pandemic, but just for life in general. Life is stressful and it's nice to feel like you have the resourcefulness and the skills to get yourself calm when you need to be. Wishing you calm, wishing you peace. Thanks for listening. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at shrinksonthird. Till next time. Take care. Thank you.